Welcome to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. Each week we meet a new guest and learn their story, all the highs and lows, triumphs and disasters they've faced and how they got through to the other side. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk. Hello, my name is Lewis and I'll be the host of this episode. Today, in a slight departure to our usual offering, I'm joined by Hotel Owner's very own reporter, Karina Duma. Karina recently attended Hospice's annual conference, so we've brought her in to discuss who was in attendance and delve into some of the major talking points of the day. So Karina, thanks for joining us. Hello. Um, so I was wondering if you could start by telling us about the conference and who was there and what did you kind of discover? Yeah, so um, Hospace is Hospa's annual conference, which offers networking opportunities with leading industry figures, coupled with other insightful panels and discussions on key topics affecting the industry today. This year, it was held at the, Lo- the Royal Lancaster London. Uh, the event focused on key issues such as sustainability, technology, wellness, cybersecurity, and most pressingly, career progression. Uh, the main speakers were Hospital President Harry Murray and CEO Jane Pendlebury, and the event was hosted by Peter Hancock. Hospace also included insights from BDO partner Mark Edwards, uh, economist Thomas Pugh from RSM, as well as leaders' panels that included UKHS Kate Nichols, the Athenaeum's Joanne Taylor Stagg, uh, RBH's Susan Bland, and Grosvenor House Suites GM Andrew Henning. So what would you say was maybe the first major takeaway that uh, you kind of discovered or or was there when you visited? So the first highlight, uh, a lot of panellists highlighted the current economic outlook for the UK and how it has impacted, well, the country. The first talk of the day was from Mark Edwards, uh, partner at BDO. He talked about how post-COVID recovery has not been directly linear throughout the year and that actually recovery has been rather up and down due to outside factors such as inflation and energy costs and geopolitical uh, conflicts across the globe. He did stress, however, that any impact on the economy has been nowhere near as bad as hospitality, uh, as bad as for hospitality, sorry, and as we have seen previously back in 2008 during the global financial crisis and notably and uh, noted actually that while people have reduced spending as their discretionary income drops, many people are still looking to go on holidays and days out. Mm. Um, most interestingly, he also focused on the use of the word crisis uh, in these times and the coined phrase cost of living crisis as well, noting how its use in the media and also the industry itself when lobbying government can have unintended impact on consumer sentiment, heightening people's fears and creating an almost self-fulfilling prophecy of reduced spending. Oh, interesting. Um, I believe you actually kind of put that point to uh, Jane Pendlebury, the uh, CEO of HOSPA. Yes. Um, I believe we've got an audio clip of that, which we can uh, play now. It was BDO. They said the word crisis was being overused. How, what do you think about that word and the impact it's had on perception about the crisis? It's, it's really interesting. That was Mark from BDO said that. And he qualified it by saying that um, lovely Kate Nichols, who lobbies on behalf of the industry to government, um, does talk about crisis. And certainly we're not having an easy time. But it's a brilliant industry. There are lots of really positive people. And my voice is always a really positive voice. And I think that... Um, 
there's so much good to, to celebrate, we should be celebrating it rather than, rather than worrying about the negatives. We'll get through them, we're resilient, we always do get through these dips. So next up, Thomas Pugh, uh, the economist from ISM, also noted that while hotel bookings have not seen much growth of the, over the year, uh, they have remained stable. Pugh noted that usually the first thing to go in an economic downturn is people's discretionary spending for holidays and dining out, luxuries, that sort of thing, which is predictable. Uh, he painted a picture that the most well-off spenders have naturally continue to spend in line with their earnings. Mm -hmm. However, Pew maintained that consumer spending this year hasn't lined up with spending seen previously in recessions, as spending on things such as food and clothing has been strong. So interestingly, he noted that essentially a number of consumer households are sitting on an excess savings pile of around £160 billion. Um, if consumers over the winter do become miserable, you know, uh, he's harking back up. to the miserable, the misery uh, index, as he called it, in economics, uh, and are looking for getaways and experiences to cheer themselves up. They will potentially start to dip into some of the savings pile. So uh, looking forward into the new year, Pew did warn that the current outlook will likely continue until the tail end of 2024, unfortunately. This means that the UK economy has gone four or five years with barely any, as he said it, growth. Mm-hmm. So a bit of a mixed bag on, on kind of the economic outlook then. Yeah. Um, but what would you say was maybe the next big takeaway? The next, the next one was uh, the potential for AI in the hospitality space. Now, I sat in the really interesting panel featuring the law groups, uh, Gavin Allison and Leonardo Hotel's Adrian Bingham. Uh, they focused on the impact of AI on the industry and what operators can do to prepare. This segment was moderated by Carson Booth from uh, HFTP, Hospitality, Financial and Technology Professionals. Mm. The, the pair talked about the difference between generative AI and AI technologies as a whole that are currently being positioned to significantly enhance the hospitality industry by promoting customer experiences, streamlining operations, optimizing revenues, and providing a competitive advantage in a crowded hospitality market. Uh, as a result, many hotels and their technology suppliers are accelerating their AI efforts by increasingly adopting AI-based solutions to meet the evolving needs of their guests. Mm, yeah, I believe it's a very kind of interesting area. I think we also have a, another clip of the discussion where they're discussing basically exactly what you just described. Uh, AI uh, is, is the replacement of a human machine or a human processing machine, typically exampled through, uh, say, the robotic process automation machine learning that's been around for some time now whereby you have an expert that defines a, 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 an operating process, you then get a system developer to uh, design that process and build it and program it and then execute it, whereby generative AI consumes content and then puts that content out based on the defined and creates new content. And creates new content. I think that's the flag for me. And Dali and creating new images from text is fascinating. Incredible. So, so Gavin, in your opinion and experience so far, what are the benefits that you're seeing by adopting an AI strategy for businesses? I think the biggest benefit is certainly learning and understanding the benefits and the shortfalls. There's, there's a lot. There's a big learning curve that needs to be undertaken by hotels when we begin integrating this technology into operations, which is predominantly a people-based or people-oriented function. Um, anybody that is convinced a chef that 
a program is going to tell them how many chefs he needs in the kitchen on Tuesday nights at dinner service, knows what I'm talking about. There can be some extensive learning that needs to be undertaken. I think the earlier you begin the, the AI strategy journey, the better off you will be further on down the line when these changes inevitably are going to, to change the way we operate our businesses in the future. Interesting. So Adrian, so we've seen a um, significant adoption of you know AI bots to handle you know basic guest requests, etc. Um, and you know I think the AI example is, is, is you know for me it's amazing to think what's going to happen in five years or three years versus what we're doing today, right? So what do you see as the impact? I mean, is there a loss of the human touch, and, and what is that impact? Um, I, I don't think there's a loss of the human touch. I think I think. Uh, particularly when you talk about AI strategy, uh, it should really be focused around what are the, the outcome benefits of the AI strategy. And we've heard from a number of speakers today around some of the pressures the hospitality industry is under. We're struggling to get staff, there's a war on to get people through the door. Um, there's a need to get extra rich in data. Uh, uh, someone mentioned earlier about revenue management and, and how uh, AI can go and get data from multiple data points. I, th I think to me the really key thing is deciding where the human touch comes in and make it somewhere where it's really going to make a difference and have the AI, the bot, do the, the other stuff. So when there is human uh, interaction, there's, there's that one step above that benefit to, to the customer. I think we, we saw in the AVA video, um, generally guests are responding positively to, to this. I mean, what are, your, what are your experiences? I mean, are you seeing you know direct responses from the guests? And what are they? I think so. Um, I've been witness to guests that have conversed with voice bots that didn't know that there was a that they were actually talking to a bot. However, on the other hand, I have seen AI get it wrong and the frustrations that come with that from a guest perspective. So I think we're still in the infancy of the potential to come, but I do see the positives as well as the negatives that exist today um, with businesses adapting it. After that, they also mentioned that four and five star hotels will likely have a greater opportunity to implement AI off the bat due to the fact that they are likely to have larger budgets at hand, but that the tools will become available to the whole industry as time goes on. They agree that the thing holding back smaller operators is the price point, unfortunately. However, there is an opportunity for AI software providers like to target the smaller independent market. Mm. Um, so I think like the next major point was also kind of tech focused. Um, and it was uh, a discussion on whether technology in actually enables or restricts the art of hospitality. Yeah, this one was very interesting. So this time, Ruckers Steve Johnson, uh, Shiji's Danica Smith and Barclay Card Payments' Wesley Thompson all sat around at the front and discussed whether technology enables or restricts the art of hospitality. Overall, the panel agreed that technology can be a mixed bag, so they can enable... So it can be enabled for tailored for tailored experiences and is also extremely advantageous when trying to create frictionless checking in options. But they also uh, highlighted the benefits of touch free check ins and, and in house apps. The frictionless experience also allows hotels to move their manpower to other parts of the business, uh, effectively freeing up their workforce to do more important customer facing tasks. However, and this is where the mixed bag comes in, one of the speakers told the story about their mother being a technophobe 
who often has difficulty getting to grips with these sorts of applications. And they made the point that technology often only enhances the experience of those who wish to use it, and that some guests who prefer the human experience and touch or of having someone to greet them. One panelist said that technology should be implemented to solve problems and not create them. It should be a beneficial choice for guests, yet not mandatory. Mm. I guess it kind of comes down to the target audience of the hotel. You know, exactly. if, if there's a hotel that's trying to attract, attract young travellers on a city break who are only kind of looking for a place to stay, then, you know, technology that offers a quick, frictionless experience would be much more attractive to them compared with, you know, a, a family on a luxury resort that are mm. kind of wanting that personalised service, you know, to treat themselves when they're on holiday. Um, yes, yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, they also talked about how the conversation surrounding tech in the industry is no longer about the tech itself, but rather how hoteliers implement it. So the panel gave some examples of things to look out for, uh, that it's efficient at enhancing the guest experience, the PMS and how it lets housekeeping know, for example, that your room needs changing or that you've decided to keep out of uh, that that service entirely. Uh, these are all examples they gave, by the way. They revealed that the answer as to how hasn't been revealed and that the strategic side needs to catch up with the tech advancements in, in this side of technology for hotels. There's also the question of whether hotels will strive to own the technology outright uh, that they deploy or simply use the technology for the services and nothing more. The panelists noticed the trend among international hotel chains, which is kind of worrying for the smaller ones, they very much want to own their own technology and have an advantage of the customer's data and opportunities for loyalty schemes. Uh, personalization entered the conversation once again at this point, uh, as technology can also be used by hoteliers to learn about each individual customer they get. This can be used to tailor their future stays and potentially inspire repeat stays time and again. Yep. Uh, so kind of another one where the advantage kind of leads to the, to the bigger chains. I believe we've also got another clip here from someone on that panel. It's so overwhelming, I think, for hoteliers. I'm an ex-hotel marketing background, and, you know, talking about guest preferences, interestingly enough, one of my top drivers for a hotel is breakfast and the number of coat hangers they have in the rooms. <laughs> if we both book a booking.com as a first day, how does that hotel understand my preference, capture my preference, store my preference, and then action my preference for my next day? which, by the way, is totally different when I travel with my kids, you know? So I think, I don't have the answers, but I have complete empathy because I think when it comes to guest loyalty, yes, we have the traditional loyalty reward programs, but it is also about personalization and expectation. So I, I just think um, it's really difficult to actually, again, strategically have something tangible where, like I just said, you know, Danica wants extra coat hangers in her room, make sure they're there when I've booked on an OTM, it's my first time stay. Or even my second time stay, how do I extract that information from me? And I think that's where your staff, your people, you know, making sure that you can kind of get that extra information from the guests during their stay and calling it that and then turning that into actionable is the future of kind of guest loyalty. So yeah, that clip was from Danica Smith and she highlighted the importance of capturing this data to encourage repeat visitors to hotels. Uh, actually, one statistic that was revealed at the conference revealed that some 70% of people who visit hotels won't stay in the same hotel twice, no matter mm. how much they like it. After that, the panel also zeroed in on actionable insight, 
which they described as learned preferences that go beyond loyalty programs. So it can vary from how many coat hangers one person will need in their room to how often they stay at a particular hotel, for example, in a larger portfolio, or how many drinks they have on average at the hotel bar. They closed by speculating that by advancing technology within the hotel sector itself, the whole hospitality industry will better attract 20-something-year-old workers in order to ensure the survival of the industry. Mm. So moving on from technology to staff, I believe one of the next kind of points that was brought up at the conference quite a bit was how to cope with the current staffing shortages. Yes, uh, the next big takeaway from the conference was the focus on the issue of staffing in the sector. As many in hospitality will know, staffing has been a major issue since the pandemic uh, and maybe even Brexit, which has only compounded difficulties businesses were uh, were already facing. Uh, A survey from UKH actually earlier this year found that labour shortages were 48% higher than before the pandemic, while another study from the Can Group found that over a third of hospitality staff quit their jobs within just six months of starting. It comes as millennials and Gen Zers struggle to see clear enough career progression in the industry um, and felt that a lack of this career progression just deterred them from even trying. The final panel of the day featured Kate Nichols, Joanne Taylor-Stagg, Susan Bland and Andrew Hemming, who claimed that it was more important than ever for the industry to focus on growing their own talent. They really drove that point home, not only to fill senior positions, but also to make the sector more attractive to younger members of the workforce. Mm. And again, I believe we've got a clip of them actually kind of explaining some of their strategies and kind of personal experiences of this. Yes. I think it is imperative that you grow your own talent. We've had to recruit in places that we wouldn't have looked before. We've had to get very creative and, and people have come with alternative skills, shall we say. And we've had to try and help those people fit in and become valuable parts of our profession. And and so I think it is more critical than ever, but I also think it has changed. And I think if I look back to when you know when I was learning the ropes, there was a development program that has completely changed and in the same way that our guests want a bespoke experience. I think our team want bespoke L&D. And, and so whether um, it's days like this or um, apprenticeships or graduate programs or even we give each of our team 150 pounds a year for them to learn something new. It could be yoga, it could be a new language, it could be anything. Um, but I think you have to change the way we train and develop to make it perfectly well-formed for each individual. It's very interesting. Become a stakeholder in their career. Absolutely. Absolutely. Andrew, do you have any thoughts on... Yeah, I, I was thinking about it with my team. Um, definitely, we've got to develop our own uh, people, and I say to, to my teams that, certainly my department heads, you're only as good as your team is. So it's totally in your interest to develop your people so that you can get done what you need to get done. But I I think there's a broader issue, not just the numbers of people available, the the skills that they have, but general life skills have changed. Um, The ability to get to work on time, uh, put your uniform on, turn out the way you're meant to turn out, um, attitude, positivity, resilience when things get a little bit difficult. You hear so many stories about people, you know, I've got people in my place 
new starts who go for a break at lunchtime and don't come back. Well, you know, what, what, what's happened? So people, whether it's you know the combination of, of the pandemic experience, Brexit for sure, uh, and everything associated with those, but um, I think there's less people with what we, a lot of us would call basic life skills um, available. So that's, uh, that's definitely a challenge. Um, and uh, the point about developing for sure. And, and just one last one I was thinking about, not, not just structured learning, but learning by project, learning by doing, um, I think is very valuable. And I, I always point that out to my team as well. You don't have to go on a course, do this project, and you're going to learn a huge amount. Um, and so giving people opportunity, I think, is a, is a, is a big thing. And I've always appreciated it. We all have. Okay. You want somebody to give you an opportunity. Take a chance on me. So I believe the final major takeaway was surrounding business rates and its likely impact in the sector. I believe Kate Nichols described something as an indexation dilemma. Yeah. So Kate Nichols began the conversation by explaining how traditionally the rateable value revaluation of properties is given at the beginning of the three-year period. It is also subject to indexation, which hasn't been a problem over the years pre-COVID as inflation was always very low. Also, nobody in the sector had has paid the full value of their rates bills over the last four years. So they were saying that unless the Chancellor took action in the autumn budget, which was actually announced today, hospitality would see a rise in relation to September's inflation figures of 7% which would, would, would see bills increase, uh, which would also coincide with the ending of government support, which was a 75% discount on rates up to a value of £110,000. Um, if that was to happen, then UKH predicted we would likely see 67% of operators cut investment. That was what she supposed at the event. 50% said uh, they would cut hours and jobs, and most worryingly, up to 25% could be faced with closure. So the trade body has been using the majority of its time in the past couple of months lobbying the government. Mm. And as you mentioned, just before we sat down to record this, the uh, Chancellor has just finished um, his autumn speech. Um, and he confirmed in the budget that the government will freeze uh, the small business multiplier for a further year and that the 75% discount on business rates up to £110,000 for retail and hospitality will also be extended for a further year. Um, reacting to this, we actually got a quote from uh, Kate Nichols again, um, saying that she's welcomed the move from the Chancellor, and it will definitely help to keep uh, the most vulnerable, uh, keep the lights on. However, she said that you know the standard multiplier rising by 6.4%, will still see almost two-thirds of the sector face a £150 million rates hike, um, so kind of a bit of a mixed bag. She said at this time it also put on pressure for consumers, you know, are still facing uh, inflation and also at a time while businesses are grappling with the high costs still of energy and food. Um, so it seems like, you know, why I didn't go as far as fixing all the problems, um, bottom line is that, you know, hopefully the most vulnerable uh, companies will, will be able to keep going. Um, so, Corinna, overall, how did you kind of find the experience? What was the uh, conference like? It was a wonderful conference for uh, networking and finding out insights and the energy was great and there were so many people there. Um, and at the end of every panel, there were times for open discussions and questions. So 
yeah, it was great. Uh, I would really encourage anyone to go if they're looking for insights. Yeah, it's always nice to kind of see yeah. hospitality come together. Um, well, Definitely. thanks for joining us, Karina. It, no was, uh, it was great. Thanks for listening to Checking In, a weekly podcast from Hotel Owner, the UK's trusted source of hotel industry news and analysis. If you like the podcast, make sure to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you listen to. To get more industry insight, head to hotelowner.co.uk and subscribe for unlimited access. If you're interested in sponsoring episodes of the podcast, drop us a line at podcast at hotelowner.co.uk.